It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is CEO Ryan Fishoff. Ryan is a 2006 graduate of Boston University with a finance degree. He started his career working at Liz Claiborne in a variety of divisional and corporate analyst roles, including the DKNY Jeans brand. He transitioned to the world of private equity with Kobe Capital, a family investment firm focusing on acquiring non-core subsidiaries from Fortune 1000 companies. In 2016, Ryan took over Gents, a men's accessories brand, and in 2017 brought that brand into American Premium Water, where he is CEO today. Ryan Fischoff, welcome into the corner office. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. How wonderful to have you here. We kind of like to start with uh, the early years. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and you know what your early family life was like. Sure. So I was born in New York City, and uh, you know, New York City has been a very big influence on my life, even though I didn't live in New York City for very, much, for very long. Uh, Moved, I lived in Tarrytown for a few years, then also moved to Denver, Colorado, a suburb of Denver, Colorado, and then moved back to the east, basically following my dad's uh, corporate journey. And then we moved, we settled in uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut. So first Westport and then uh, Southport, Connecticut. All right. Nice, nice area. What uh, type of work did your dad do? He was an executive for uh, a number for a number of consumer products companies, but oh, uh, got it. primarily uh, he worked for Bristol Myers Squibb for 27 years in a number oh, sure. of different finance capacities, and then was the CFO of Cody Incorporated right. for six and a half years, and then held a couple of other um, COO slash CFO roles with some smaller uh, consumer brands in the in the in the latter years. So it's kind of went into the middle market a little bit. After yeah, that. middle market, right? So it's been it's been a heavy influence on my uh, professional career. What about mom? Would she stay at home, or did she also have a career? She was a, uh, she was a stay at home mom for the most part. Um, she definitely worked a few you know jobs here and there to to, to stay busy. But brothers and sisters I have uh, one younger sister. So she's actually six years younger than me. So it's a it's an interesting dynamic, I think, because because I was uh, you know an only child for six years. So I I've read a lot about the um, you know because I have a lot of tendencies of an only child, even though I'm not an only child. But. Right, right, right. No, I know that's like I, I'm kind of the same way, although I'm the back end. My older brothers are seven and ten years older than me, so you know kind of grow up that way as well. But uh, it's interesting to have those relationships. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the influences that your your mom and dad had on you growing up. You know, lessons learned, that kind of thing. 
Sure. I mean, it, it, very different in the sense because, you know, my dad was working a lot. So especially during the week, he wasn't home a lot. It was my interaction with him was, was just, you know, pretty much a night when you come home from work and he worked in, he worked in New York most of the time and then, you know, moved to Connecticut, uh, his office. So it was a little more, you know, we, a little less work time. So I think it was, you know, it, you know, different. It was more like weekend, weekend pieces of wisdom or, late night pieces of wisdom while I was doing my homework for my dad and my mom was sort of there during the week. So I think I, you know, I learned a lot from both their life experiences in just different, in different ways. Any specific things that you can recall from those early days that uh, mom or dad shared with you that maybe has had an influence, uh, you know, on your life today? I would say, I mean, I don't think there's anything, anything in particular. I don't think there's any like anecdotal pieces of like wisdom they passed along. I think it's just general. I just think just, you know, being around them kind of you know rubbed off on me in different family ways. Family mo- model and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah. I mean, there's you know, there's, there's nothing really I can really point to or recall. It's like you know, little pieces of wisdom. But I mean, certainly, you know, I think just you know, like I said earlier in the pot, like when, when I said we we grew up with a you know, even though we were living in Connecticut, I I do feel that New York New York influence is very important in my life. Spent a lot of time there. Spent a lot of time in New York. My my parents are from the city. My mom's from Queens. My dad's from Brooklyn. So it's different perspectives. And and I was always raised with that mentality. So it's a very different mentality than like growing up in the suburbs or even Connecticut per se. Being in Connecticut versus like Westchester or Long Island, it's a you know, it's a different mentality when you have their life experience, especially like you know, I think it was you know I became I was always self aware of you know I guess. Or I was more aware of others that you know, I didn't. I tried not to take for granted what we had because my parents didn't really. Neither of them had lived in a house until I right. was. Yeah, two. was apartments. Yeah. It was apartments. So like that whole aspect of like you know having the space and everything. It's just it, I, I have an appreciation for that. Any other uh, influencers in your life? You know, was there a special uncle or aunt or maybe a coach or a teacher at school? I would say my grandparents were very influential for me. Both sides. Uh, just my, uh, my, just one, my, my, my dad's parents, my mom's parents were deceased before I was born. So, but my, my dad's, my, my dad's parents, um, they were very impactful in my life. So were they, uh, living nearby? Yeah, they were living in, in, uh, a half hour away in Westchester. So we'd always go there and they would come, come visit with us. And you know, it was, uh, you know, they were very, you know, they had a very, very, influence even to this day on me i would say i would say outside my parents are the most influential people in my life were you a good student uh (laughs) i was okay actually (laughs) i think you know i I did i always i always did well enough to get by but i never you know i only pushed myself in the in the courses i really liked i didn't you know i didn't find i didn't put the effort or i put the effort that was needed to just get a decent grade but to really achieve, I never, I never had the best GPA. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I went to Boston University, so obviously I didn't do too bad. But um, definitely didn't. I probably underachieved, I would say, in high school. What were some of your favorite subjects, the ones that you did well and enjoyed? Um, I would say all my American Studies classes. I was very good. And I, I remember... Um, 
you know, like some of the, the law classes, I was very good. I just, I just got it. It, was very, it came very natural to me. And I just had a comprehension and like in class, like people, I would just, anyone, I would, I can talk very well, but I can articulate myself very well. Also writing as well. So that those are the classes that, that emphasize that. And I just did very, very well. And it just came very naturally to me. That uh, served you well in your business career as well. Yeah, math. Some of the mathematics. I would say algebra. I was pretty good. It was when we got to like calculus and and, chem, and like chemistry. I just did not understand, and nor did I care <laughs> to, because again, I was of the opinion that I'm not going to be a scientist. Yeah, I'm what's the be, relevance? Right. What's the yeah. relevance of being calculus? <laughs> like, I, you know, like um, this is uh, to me, it didn't make sense, and I didn't want to. Like again, that was like a perfect example of something that, like, yes, if I really applied myself, I probably would have been you know, okay. But I just. I didn't turn. On, I didn't put on that extra gear because I just didn't feel. I didn't say what's the point. And um, I, I also liked uh, TV class. Believe it or not, I did, oh, cool. I did film, and I really liked the, that aspect of, of things too. But I made a decision. I would say, like you know, when I was going to college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. That I mean, I didn't think I had the. I didn't have enough confidence in myself to be a filmmaker because I like I know a few other people who were doing it. and I'm like, they are really good, and I just I, I'm not going to be a director. It's like you know, it's just that's not. I don't think I have that talent or drive to want to do that. So public high school, private private school, public high school. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. They had a film class. Yeah, <laughs> these days those things have mostly been eliminated, unfortunately. I, yeah, I mean it's been. I guess it's been almost. I guess actually it's crazy. This will be, this fall will be the 20, 20 years ago I was going into high school. So it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but right, I guess, right. yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't anything crazy. We just had some basic camcorders. It was in our library and our audiovisual department. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun and it definitely, it definitely gave me some, you know, it definitely helped build skills because I took a marketing class too my senior year and I took some of those film skills and I just put together a great presentation and, and I'm, I took a marketing class, and I just it just came so naturally to me. I was like, "This is," I, you know. And then like some of the stuff my teacher was saying, I'm like, "No, this is wrong." And I was like, "No, no." Like <laughs> and I even knew. I'm like, "Okay, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's kind of the uh, the edge that I have that like yeah that 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 fuels me as a, you know as more of an entrepreneurial side." But um, what about outside of class? Anything sports, music, theater? Yes. So I was big into sports. Yeah. What kind of sports do you play? football i played uh basketball i played baseball for a little bit and then i played volleyball actually ever ever any ambition to do that at the college level uh i did so i i i didn't love football i mean i had offers to play football in college and i just didn't want to because i knew the commitment and everything and i just didn't love it enough and i mean if i could have had my druthers i would have played college basketball but i wasn't that good I wasn't I wasn't good enough to play I mean to, to play college basketball. I didn't have the athleticism that was needed. Um, so actually I so I went to BU and then during my freshman orientation I got recruited to, to row. And I was on the freshman crew team for yeah, semester. Great. Cool. Great sport. My daughter rows at Dartmouth. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I rode at Dartmouth. My first race was at Dartmouth, actually. Oh, excellent. Cool. And it was freezing. I remember it was... It, <laughs> yeah. it was <laughs> the snow leaves the Connecticut River very late in, yeah. in New Hampshire. <laughs> I know. It was crazy. It was like... It was late. It was like October, and it was snowing, and it was so cold. And I never... And then, like, rowing, if you, you, don't, you don't wear gloves, so yeah, your hands right, get freezing. Right. And 
<laughs> you know, that was, a, it was an interesting sport. I thought it was a crazy sport that I could just like kind of be pulled off the street and I made the fresh, the number one freshman boat. And awesome. I was like, this is kind of crazy. And there were kids, and I was with kids who actually got recruited to, to row. And actually one of the kids I rode with ended up being a three-time Olympian and he won two, wow. he won two gold medals in, um, one in Beijing and one in London. Wow. Fantastic. Did you row all four years no, or just the freshman year? I, I yeah. did the freshman year because it just, again, I, this isn't the thing where I just, I didn't love it. And it was a huge time commitment. It's a huge time commitment. And it just wasn't what I wanted to do. It's just kind of something I stumbled into. And it's like, I just don't, it, this is, to me, it's not, it wasn't worth it to me. So I quit after my first semester, freshman year. And then I ended up playing volleyball. In, okay, cool. At BU, and I had a great time and it was, you know, it fulfilled my competitive nature and also i also made some great friends i'm still close with many of my teammates who are actually spread across the country and it's it's cool we see each other like once a year and it's, it's you know we keep in touch and it's great so that was a very that was a very very trans, that was a very very good decision or tell us a little bit about uh, maybe some of the entrepreneurial things you were involved with when you were younger you know any uh well, paper routes in New York City probably didn't take place, but you would have had them out in Connecticut. Uh, were there things that you did growing up? I didn't have, it's funny. So I didn't really have, it's like, it was like in me, the entrepreneurial bug, but it really wasn't, it didn't come to forefront because like- It didn't manifest early. It didn't manifest early because the, the people, that I, I guess, you know, I've learned later in life, I've seen in terms of it's like, it's the people you're around. So, I mean, my, my dad was in the corporate world, so that didn't really- you know, he's become more entrepreneurial too since, and I think you know it would have cultivated itself. And you know the internet was just starting, and but like none of my friends were doing anything. It just there wasn't there wasn't like that in my DNA to push me, and I hadn't like really asserted myself. I mean, high school is a funny time; you're still like figuring yourself out, and you know doing sports and everything. And I definitely had it. You know, looking back, I definitely, the seeds were there. It's just, they hadn't been planted yet. And um, so did you work some part-time jobs or anything like that while going to high school? No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I, you know, football, sports was my job. Yeah, they took up a lot of your time. It took up a lot of my time. I, you know, I committed myself very hard. That was something I, you know, I probably committed myself more to sports than I did to my schoolwork. I, I'd probably be the first to admit that. Was it was it kind of assumed that you'd go to college? Uh, obviously, I think your dad did. Did mom as well? It was. Uh, it wasn't just assumed. It was preordained. Uh, preordained. Yeah. <laughs> I, there was never. And, and and why BU? I mean, great school, and you know, obviously not too far away. But was there a, a specific attraction as to why you went there? I'd always wanted to be in a city. You know, being in a city. I knew from early on that I wanted to have a city environment, and you know, I pretty much looked places in, uh, in the east coast that were in cities in, in washington dc philly um boston those were pretty much the places boston's a great town great college town yeah, yeah. And, I, yeah. and i went and visited a few times and i was like yeah this is a good place this is you know this is good right. what did you study college. in college uh finance finance okay and was that kind of again preordained or something no. you just expressed an interest in or it's found your way into it's something i just kind of figured gave me the most optionality it was a very practical decision because i wasn't sure how like what the path would be going forward but i figured i made the decision i was like okay if i get a marketing degree that only limits me to marketing jobs but if you get a finance degree, they don't necessarily discriminate you of having a finance degree where you, choice, you yeah. can still get a marketing job if you have a finance degree. So right, right. I just thought it gave, that was the most open-ended 
open-ended thing and you know and it was a good and it was a good program you know we learned you know i learned a lot i mean uh, the thing about college especially undergraduate is that like it's just a foundation and I, and, you, and you learn this you don't realize this then you know, i learned this now looking back but you know, really it really is it's just a foundation of of, of, of a foundation building blocks it's it's the work experience that, that 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 really builds your career it's like you know i know people like get hung up on the fact that oh you went to this college or that college but i mean it doesn't you know after being in the workplace for like five years it shouldn't even matter what was that first job you took out of college so i worked for well actually the fir- i i hung around boston for a little bit and did uh, commercial real estate actually that's, that was in like 2006 when, you know, pre-boom, things were, uh, things were percolating. I was trying to figure out, I, I, wasn't gonna, I knew I wasn't going to stay in Boston uh, for very long. I was just trying to, you know, stall, stall for time and just figure out what I wanted to do. My first real, you know, I would say, corporate job was uh, working for uh, Liz Claiborne. Liz Claiborne, yeah, we covered that in your, in your uh, was that down in New York? That was in New York. Yeah, got it. And you went into a, some sort of analysis role then, or financial analyst? Yes, I was a financial analyst at the corporate level as well as on the divisional brand level. Did you move into some leadership responsibilities pretty early on? or My first day, they put me, they didn't have, so Liz Claiborne was an interesting experience for me because at the time, I mean, the economy was still doing very well, but that company, unbeknownst to me, was having, was kind of the canary in the coal mine to everything. And they had, been covering up a lot of internal issues through acquisitions. So at the time I joined Liz Claiborne at the end of 2006, they had over 40 brands in their portfolio, which a lot of people didn't realize. So they owned Ju- Juicy Couture, uh, Lucky Jeans, uh, a number of other brands. And, you know, Juicy was very hot then. And uh, there was just, they were just covering up their masking because they were just, you know, as I've learned since, masking some of the structural flaws in the business with these shiny acquisitions, but you can only do that for so long. So, so my first day on the, so there was a lot of reor- internal reorganization. So my first day on the job, I didn't have a, I didn't have a boss per se. The, the, my, my direct report was the, was the SVP of finance for a large division, almost like a divisional CFO because they didn't have anyone, uh, they hadn't hired or moved anyone to be my boss. So, the person who was training me was actually a, an analyst or senior analyst for another brand. So I, so my first day, they put me in the leadership meeting for DKNY Jeans brand, and these are, yeah, and the DKNY Jeans brand was a two hundred and fifty million dollar business when I was, when I was there. So it was a very eye opening experience that I'm 22 and I'm they're looking to me on my first day like okay <laughs> what's going on here and there was a pretty cutthroat team of, of of sales and fashion executives were you managing people in that job no well yes and no because in the finance world you know the finance world has there's a lot of you know it became quick to me clear to me very quickly that there's a lot of internal power even though you don't have like title power there's internal powers being in finance so that sure you control the numbers <laughs> right exactly so i held a lot more swag so to speak than i think i even realized then or the perception and it was you know very you know i could i would be talking to people and again i, and I go back to my said like only child it was never a problem for me dealing with people who are older and that's what helped me where i was because I, it wasn't weird for me to be talking to people 20, 25 years older than me, and I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't feel like uh, inferior to them. 
Do you remember the first time you started managing people directly? Yeah. I mean, I would say one of my first jobs, well, before college, my first job, actually, my first real, I guess, official paid job, I was a summer camp counselor. So you're, you're managing people 20, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Any early leadership lessons that you, you derive from that? Yeah, there were a lot. I mean, I think you, you <laughs> definitely, there were two or three of them. I would say the biggest thing I learned was you got to be yourself. Yeah. Because you can't try to, you know, I think you can definitely use anecdotal things from like other people. Like I certainly use experiences from, because I went to Seaway Camp as a camper. It's the same place I went as a, as a camper. Um, and I tried using what my, you know, the counselors that I remember being good and try emulating them. But at the end of the day, you have to be yourself and just take those, those you know, guidelines or, or tips to, to guide you. You can't, you can't try to be them. You have to be yourself and just use what they you know, kind of taught you and apply it in your own way. So you were in the corporate world with Liz Claiborne, DKNY, before you went into private equity. How many years did you actually spend in that corporate environment? Two years. Any, uh, you know, best or worst lessons you uh, took from previous bosses there? You don't need to name any names. <laughs> no, 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 no. I would say, so I would say the Liz Claiborne experience was very hectic. So like I said, there, so there was, you know, the company went through transformation. And then, you know, I would say six months while I was there, they started announcing that, like, they had a miserable... Uh, a miserable earnings report and then they announced they started selling brands off and it just was like a tailspin and the, and the company you know I would say through my two years there I had five different bosses direct bosses it was crazy and it was a very hectic place and it was just like I was very frustrated I mean I, I would say the best thing I learned there was what not yeah, to do. Yeah, I was going to say, what were some of the worst lessons <laughs> that you picked up or, or good lessons that are behaviors that you wouldn't repeat elsewhere? Just in terms of how they de dealt with things, in terms of on the corporate level, because it was a very split culture there. Because you had the New York office and the New Jersey office. The New Jersey office was a kind of the back office with all like the you know like the true accounting functions or the AP and I, you know, AR and IT in their their corporate headquarters or the corporate campus in um, uh, North Bergen, which is right across the river. And then you had the New York side, which was where the fashion side was, but also the we were there because we were on the divisional level. So there was also a split between the corporate finance team in New Jersey or the and then the kind of the back office corporate side, and then there's the, the front office side like us. So that in itself was interesting. You know, I, I, I picked that up. There's that culture, cultural difference, and that's the classic suburban versus uh, urban mindset. And then also there was also the um, – just in terms of how the company was run, it was just, it was, even as you know, someone fresh out of college, there was so much mismanagement and so much waste. Where it was just, they were just, they were stuck 10 years past. Like their IT systems were not well done. There was all these pointless calls and meetings where I just would sit there and we'd waste an hour and I'd just be sitting there just with something that could have been done over email <laughs> or just a phone call. Right, right. Even some of the phone calls we did was just like, we were just repeating stuff that's on a piece of paper that, like if there was any issues, it could have been done offline where we could just say, okay, here's the report. And if there's anything that's variance to the report, please speak to me off email. Or you If know, not, let's get back to call. work, right? Right, exactly. And it was like, I, I just learned so many things what not to do in a company. So you went into private equity, I think, following that, right? Yeah. And how many years did you spend in that industry, that sector? Six and a half years. Got it. What was the attraction to do that? Uh, 
was it kind of your entrepreneurial self coming out or yes I, you know I, I, working very early on at Liz and spending late nights so I mean one of the things that really frustrated me was I was working on we spent an inordinate amount of time working on the on the, on the financials and uploading the financials it was like a torture because the IT systems were all out of whack because and I was like this is ridiculous I'm, I'm here at nine o'clock at night because we have we've, we've had the financials done for two hours but we can't upload it into the system it's like this is dumb. So it's like, I want to be working for my, you know, I'm putting all this effort in, and it goes back to like when I was younger. It's like, if I'm putting all this time and effort and energy into something, I want to have, I want a piece of it. I want to get your return, get my return. I, you know, I can't, I won't be able to function. I, I will not, this is where I need to be because I won't, I won't excel in that environment because I just will be like, I, I won't, I'll be disinterested and I just won't, it won't work for me. And then after your your PE work, you went into uh, uh, becoming obviously a CEO and a founder. Was that one of the companies that uh, you had nurtured along uh, in, during the the private equity days? No, no. Gens was something. It was, I mean, it, it was again the, the private equity firm I worked for. We didn't really do, unfortunately, consumer products, but I really learned how to run businesses and turn around businesses. It was a very good education for me. What were some of the key lessons that you you took away from those six and a half years? Really, I mean, really, because it was we worked in a small office. So you know, even though I wasn't a senior partner, but you know, you, you, my boss would, my boss there would say you'd have to be dumb not to learn something. <laughs> you know, if, if you don't learn anything here, you're just dumb because we were exposed to so much, and I did a lot, and I and I participated a lot on the transactions. It wasn't like I just sat around and did nothing, but. You know, one of the transactions we did, I went and I, I was the transition team, which was great. That was a great experience. Um, certainly learned about managing people in terms of also on the, on the corporate hierarchy, in terms of how how things need to be um, managed, especially when you're bringing a new a new culture, cultural shift, because you're a change agent, and you know, I think you learn people are naturally adherent to change. I mean, I, I'm the same way. It's kind of funny. Like we work as as a change agent or in a turnaround company, but you know when myself sometimes slow to adapt. That's just our human nature. How would you say your leadership style has kind of evolved over the years? From you know obviously your early corporate period, the six plus years in private equity, and now with uh, not one but two two startups. Or it looks like gents, you you uh, kind of folded into American Premium. Is that correct? Correct. I mean, it's something I'm still, you know, gr- grasping with. I would say, I'd say communication skills have, have improved in the sense that, or I'm, I'm constantly more aware of it and, and working on it, where you need to be very, you know, especially in a startup world, you need to be very, very clear with people who work under you. And uh, how big a team do you have now? Uh, I have, I would say between both coasts, like 10 people. And we're bi-coastal, so it's very—it's a very interesting uh, atmosphere where Jensen, American Premium Water. And that was one of the, the theses: is, is combining, consolidating our back-end operations, our logistics and warehouse. Because at the end of the day, whether it's hats or water, my shipping department—it's the same thing. Whether when they're shipping to someone or through Amazon, it's, it doesn't matter. It, it just weighs something, and you put it in a box. So even though there's that. So I think that's another challenge inherited of itself is that I'm not there managing the day-to-day. I'm here in New York. They're out in LA. I go there frequently, but I'm not there on a daily basis. So that also adds another level 
degree of difficulty of communication and having to be. Yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts on building a company culture, particularly when you're a small group like that split, you know, by 3,000 miles? I think you have to, it's about the people you, you know, you have to adapt a little bit to, to the people that work for you because you're not there. So you can't, you know, as, as much as we all say about, oh, the leadership starts with the top. In this instance, I have to kind of, work around them unfortunately just because well unfortunately or fortunately for them or however you want to view it just because i'm not there to you know impart on it so i can s- set up processes on you know all i want and that's great but at the end of the day that's partially on me too so it's like i have to s- set the set the tone but at the same time there's a lot of things i'm not there i'm not there setting the tone so it's like something i have to adapt to and that's something that you know it's kind of like a it's always an evolving process, I would say. It's not something that, um, you know, is ever set in stone. So I, I think from, you know, traditional standpoint, traditional management, leadership standpoint, it's, it's unique. But I think this is where, you know, companies are evolving. You know, as, as I think telecommuting becomes more, you know, work from home becomes more prevalent. You know, I think this is something that, you know, you know, more people will be dealing with. What would you say is unusual or unique about your company culture at uh, Premium Water? I would say the fact that we're so spread out is that I'm, you know, the CEOs in New York, our our founder and chairman's in Miami, and our operations are in LA. So we travel a lot, and and it's also, I mean, I would say it's unique is that you know we're we're you know we're a public company, we're, we're a small cap company, and Yet, you know, we're still kind of in the startup phase, even though we're, we're Gents is somewhat of an established brand, but it's still a small brand. It's still an established brand or a startup brand. And What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? I think, you know, I like to look for someone who has good social skills or good people skills. I would say not being robotic. I think a lot of people, you know, I, I had the chance to interview a lot of people when I was in my private equity role. And, you know, it's something you know, something you learn. You just can't you know do interviews over time. It's like you need to uh, you need to like just kind of get a feel for them if they're if they're reading off a script or they're just robotic or trying to trying to say the things that you want to hear versus the things that how they really are. And it's not easy because sometimes I mean people who read off a script or, t- or telling you what you think they want to hear, they're good. And and maybe that's not a bad thing either because if, if they can adapt to a situation, but. I think you really just need to get a, a sense of, you know, where's, peop- where, where's people's mindset lies and where, where they are. If you only have about five minutes with someone, what do you kind of focus in on? What do you ask them? I would say and it's kind of a dark thing to, to say this, but essentially if, if you only had five years left, what would, your, what would you want your obituary to say? Mm. Not, not like, oh, five years from now where you want to be. Because I yeah, think that's yeah. like, you know, uh, being this company. Because I think it really pushes people to say, okay, I have five years left. What would I really want? And it really just cuts to, it kind of shocks people. Interesting. Yeah, I like it. And it, What kind of responses do you get? It really opens, people are pretty startled when they, sit, when they hear that. <laughs> and, but it, but, it, but, it, but it, it, it's a crazy thing. People open up because it takes it out of the whole sphere or specter of, oh, I want to be this company. Standard questions. Right. Yeah, right, right. You know, people, it really opens up really what they want to do because it's just, it kind of gives them some, <laughs> it gives, a, it gives a, a lens of finality where it's like, okay, right, I only have five right. years. Cool. 
what I really want to do or where, how would I want to be perceived? So and I think it's interesting. You know, I think how, how people react to it is, is interesting. What are some of the more interesting responses you've had from that question? You know, I remember one person said that, you know, they would hope to become like an avid, be like known as an avid outdoors, outdoor, outdoorsman or naturalist. I was like, okay. So I was completely out of not what we're, you know, we're talking about here. And, and another thing we used to, I used to do too, and this is, I don't think this, this was a thing for a little bit. I think they've kind of regulated this, but um, I used to ask, would you let me have access to your Facebook account? Mm, right. And yeah. I never wanted to, but I just wanted to hear what people's responses yeah, were. Right. Because <laughs> I could tell like how people would kind of like chill up, their eyes would get wide, right? Yeah, because <laughs> I tell you your answer right there. And to be right. honest, I would I would say the people who said no, I wouldn't give you my Facebook account, those are the people I'd want. Because because that's something that I don't believe that like it should be the, the companies. It just shows me like that they're not a corporate like they're not completely, you know, they have some moral compass or some like level of, you know, at least that's how I look at it. I mean, some people would want the other way, like, you know, completely subservient or whatever, but I don't think that should be your best employees shouldn't be sub completely subservient. They should, yeah, want, they should right. want to work yes, for you. Man. Yeah. You yeah. don't want, yes, yeah. man. I don't believe. Did you have people that were responding? Oh, sure. Here, here, here's my password. <laughs> I go take a look. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 thanks. I just wanted to ask. I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't care, but. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That was also Good another questions. thing that like, I felt that was, yeah. I don't think you can do that anymore. This was like, I would say six, seven years ago. I, I don't think that's a thing anymore because I think there's been some, some, you know, policy about that or it's kind of like evolved. I guess many, you know, true HR people would, would chime in on that. But um. <laughs> Right. Well, Ryan Fischoff, you've been very, very generous with your time. We do have one last question that we always ask uh, all the CEOs. And specifically, that's what career and life advice, you know, would you give to someone that has their eyes on the corner office or, or perhaps wants to be an entrepreneur like yourself? I mean, I know this is kind of like uh, rote or hackneyed, but you have to love what you do because you spend so much time and energy and an effort and if you don't love what you're doing if you don't have a passion for it it's just not going to work and yeah a lot of people say that and, it, and i know that from personal first-hand experience i think that's the best i mean i wouldn't be doing this because it's just it's such a sacrifice i couldn't tell you the number of sacrifices i've made um you know, personal relationships financial family it's just a lot of things I've I've definitely sacrificed and neglected for the companies. <laughs> so it's like you need you, <laughs> you got to really love it. You got to give really, up that much time right, and effort. You got to yeah. really love it and be committed. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your time. Best of luck with uh, continuing to grow American Premium. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for having me. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 